0: On with the show. Podcast. Jeff Johnson will be live from upstairs studio. In studio with me, Carol Cole. How you doing, Carol?
1: I'm okay. A little bit sniffling, but okay.
0: Well, I, I, a little bit of sniffling on the podcast will just add add uh, add local flavor. Uh, and with us, our guest, our victim—no, not victim—our <laughs>
2: interviewee, uh, Tamar Jacobson. How you doing, Tamar? Hi, everybody. I'm fine. I turned seventy-three yesterday, so I'm I'm just. It's groovy.
1: Happy
0: birthday. Happy well, you've got birthday. a little bit more life to share. Uh, tomorrow was <laughs> with us uh, back in episode 853, where she shared the first half of her life. Uh, basically, she was a kid, kind of a quiet child, kind of kind of off to the sidelines a little bit observing the world uh, got a little bit older dated a shepherd for a while and married him <laughs> uh, had some adventures uh, we we left off she was she was on her way to America uh, also I, I believe maybe I'm misremembering this but I believe she j- dated Jimi Hendrix for a little bit um, in, in Manchester <laughs> um, but before we get into the rest of Tamar's story I got I got a story I saw the I experienced the second most adorable thing you could ever see in the world the other day. And I just have to talk to other humans about it. I was out on a bike ride and I'm zipping down the trail and it's kind of on, on a riverfront kind of area. And up ahead of me, there were, it must've been 70 or 80 tiny little fluffball goslings and their adoring parents walking on the, on the path towards a playground. And I, so I, I assumed it was a, a field trip to the playground um, and then I just mowed right through them and geese flew. No, um, I, I, took a, I took a different route not to, not to disturb the, the cute little goslings, but they're all just walking along, marching along and it's, uh, it was really adorable. And I got, I got to thinking that that was a very adorable thing, but I think the only more adorable thing would have been if it was a, a 70 or 80 Labrador Retriever Chocolate Lab Puppies. I think would have been the only cuter thing because I've got a, I've got a mammal bias. Uh, what say you, what's the most adorable thing that you could, you could see?
2: Well, you know, actually yesterday I was down by the Wissahickon, which is a, a a part of the Schuylkill river in in Philadelphia. It's a beautiful area. And I was having lunch there with a friend and we saw a whole bunch of goslings too, which were just so adorable, really sweet. They're but so, I like kittens. So cute kittens yes uh, okay. okay i mean i love puppies but i do kittens. like kittens
0: I, I i kittens i just don't know if you'd be able to get them all to the playground i think the puppies would come to the playground i think the kittens would just be off doing their their own thing carol what's your cutest thing
1: at the first thing that comes to mind if you've ever seen that the video of the girl trying to say pinocchio
2: and her no, mom's I like
1: coaching her through like pee no no like and she does like she breaks it down and then her mom goes Pinocchio and she goes
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is something I can look up on the interwebs yeah yeah okay I'll have to look that up later okay on to serious stuff tomorrow you're off to America you're leaving on a jet leaving on a jet plane I assume yeah you're flying to America it's uh 1970 something no 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 1988
2: 1988
0: June sixteenth. Oh, seventies. Oh, that's when you were. That's when you were dating the you. Okay, uh, June sixteenth, nineteen eighty-eight. I was. Uh, I was. Uh, um, graduated from high school and uh, huh. and uh, living life. Carol was not yet
1: born. I was four. really. No, you I was four. I'll you have you four. know I was four.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> so <laughs> sweet. All right, so you head to America tomorrow. We'll, we'll pick up
2: the story. What happens? Age 39, off to Buffalo, New York. Never have seen that much snow in my entire life. (laughs) Ever. Uh, In fact, we discovered uh, about two years later, my son and I, that the first winter in Buffalo, we had actually been eating the snow because we just had to feel it. We had Mm -hmm. never seen such quantities. And the second year, he said, you know, Mom, I've stopped eating the snow and I said, you know what? So have I. We both didn't know that we were doing it. Yeah, so there was a lot of snow, but it was also academia that, that was very new for me. Um, I had this impression because of my older brother, who was the genius of the family, um, and the only one who'd gone to college, actually. My, other, my two sisters and younger brother never did. Um, so... I was very impressed with the idea of academia. Um, and what, what I found was, um, I mean, I, I loved, I loved studying because I hadn't had that opportunity and I was 39 and it was, it's a great age to go back to school. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a really great age to go back to school because it, it was just so much fun and it, I learned so much and I became a feminist too.
0: <laughs> what, what does that look like?
2: Well it, it, what it looks like is that I, I was taking a course on um, ethnography which is a way of uh, studying cultures actually um, where you observe and then you um, interview people and so forth and it was it was taught by uh, uh, it was in my graduate classes because I, I started off the first year of finishing a BA because I only had an associate's degree so I did three degrees in about 10 years Um And uh, she gave us a book to read called, oh, (laughs) I have to remember it. Um, It's on my my shelf. Uh, Anyway, the gist of the book was, I'll I'll remember the name. Uh, It was a study of young women who go to college and decide they want to be architects or astronomers or astrologists or uh, mathematicians or all kinds of... uh, professions and then they meet a guy and they fall in love and they give it all up and they follow him to wherever he's going and they take up teaching or nursing or things like that and it was just just um, discovering why that happened to so many young women and what happened to me when I read that book was I realized that a lot of my life I hadn't really made I hadn't sat down and made choices. Um, I had lunch with a woman yesterday who, at the age of 16, knew exactly the type of man she wanted to marry. And when she found him, she married him. And she's been with him, I don't know, 50 years now. Um, I wasn't that kind of person. (laughs) I sort of fell into things and, and sort of, very impulsively went in into stuff and I felt as if I never had choices per se which and that book sort of um oh gosh I wish I could remember it I know that I quoted in my first book but I can't remember the name right now Why? why because you... I turned 73 yesterday yeah, I mean yeah you
0: can't remember the name of all the books by I may I mean, I can't re- I can't remember the name of the book I'm reading right now. I mean, not right now while we're recording, but 20 minutes after we get done. Um, how <laughs> how did you get to be towards your late 30s and feel like you never had any choice or thought about it? No, choices? I didn't how- actually
2: feel that until I read that book. And then I thought, wow, I, I have choices. I can I can decide what I want to be. I can decide what I want to do. I don't just have to fall into things or marry people because they want to marry me. I can I can think about that beforehand, (laughs) Uh,
0: but I'm I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that you got to be that age and, and we're just having that feeling that for how what how did you not have that feeling before?
2: Um. Because I was always doing things to sort of please people or have them like me, I think. I think that was very important for me. I was worried about making mistakes or um, that I was doing the wrong thing. I was always trying to be perfect. And it wasn't really following my heart in that way.
0: Was it it also, was was there any culture aspect to it? Because, I I mean, look, I'm a dude in America. And I think my whole life has been... Hey, make your choices. So I didn't know if you, just the way you grew up that culturally there wasn't a whole lot of
2: well, I, I you know my mother was old school. Um, you know, if men go to work and women stay home and take care of the children, and when the when men come home, they're very tired. So you have to keep the children quiet and have the dinner on the table. That kind of attitude. Yeah. Because later in life, <clears throat> when I became a professor and uh, married my my husband of now 28 years um you know he would cook dinner and stuff and i would get very anxious like you know because i would had to cook for him because he was working but i had been working all day too and he loves to cook and i don't so i mean it just sort of i had to relearn all that yeah um so that must have been a real freeing
0: freeing or scary thing for you
2: both absolutely both
1: I think it's interesting that it seems like you became a feminist and to become a feminist you kind of had to leave your, your mother's ideas yes. of you behind. That's almost yes. like it seems like your mother never made you feel like you were even capable of making a choice.
2: Right. Oh and I always absolutely. think that's
1: interesting. It's like not you didn't have to escape your father's overshowering to become a feminist. You had to escape your mother's, which I always think is absolutely
2: my father was a very was not very old (laughs) he was younger than what I am now but he was he was 55 when I was born so he was an older man and he certainly had those ideas I'm sure too you know those sort of old school ideas but he was different because he was very accepting of me and very fond of me I mean he sent me when I when I went to high school I was going to uh, learn French in high school we had the choice of learning Afrikaans which was the the language of South Africa, or French, and I chose French because um, I was anti-racist. <laughs> and um, I mean, I made then I made a choice, I guess you could say. Um, I knew that's what I wanted, and he sent me this beautiful French dictionary. I mean, he was he was very um, encouraging of of me becoming who I wanted to be. He was never um, not supportive about that. Whereas my mother could, didn't seem to notice. She, she, you know, she, didn't, she didn't have the time. It, it, she was so involved in her new marriage and her new situation
0: yeah.
2: that she just couldn't possibly worry about what I was doing.
0: So you're, you're in your 30s. You've become a feminist. You're, you're, you're Well, actually, now I'm in my 40s
2: because I came oh, here at okay. 38, 9, 39, turned 40 okay. in America.
0: Okay. And so do you have any idea of, of who you want to become at this point?
2: Well, actually, I wanted to be a family therapist. So um, I, my, my minor was in family counseling, in family therapy, um, specifically for my doctorate. But my, the professor who had encouraged me to come here and made it possible, actually, um, thought I'd be a good professor of early childhood. You know, he'd, he wanted me to go further than the master's, that I was going to just do a master's and go back to Israel. Um, but, oh, gee, I just went on and on and on. And he was he was excellent because right from the get go, he m- encouraged me to write an article for a, uh, for a journal at the time for for young children actually mm-hmm. about family, about home visits, um, and he I think the second year I was in college already and I was starting my masters he encouraged me to start presenting immediately, at all the conferences and so I would just go and present everywhere, literally from uh, from 1990. Um, so I've been presenting for a long time. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to PLI. I'm going to the Professional Learning Institute in, in a couple of weeks, which is in Ohio. It's in person now.
0: Oh,
2: well, that should be fine. I think I'm the only, the, uh, the only one of my age left there now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe Holly, Alyssa Bruno will be there, but I'm not sure. All my colleagues you know, have either retired and left the profession or whatever. Or they just moved on. Twitters. So it's just me gonna be there, but literally, wow. I've been presenting since then. Thanks to him, he really, he really stressed building up the career from the from the start. He was he was very good at that.
0: And how did that go for you? Is it something you were you were automatically drawn to, or was it something you had to work at and were scared um, of? Or
2: well, once again, you know, he said I must do that, so I I did that. He also taught me how to use a computer, which I didn't know how to use when I arrived here. Um, I mean, what an old huge box thing it was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, actually, I wrote my, my doctoral dissertation on a tiny little sort of Apple computer that had the, the keyboard attached to the screen. It was really mm-hmm. a weird little thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <probably. laughs>
0: were, were you were you were you studying full- time or were you were you working? No.
2: Um, I had to I had to work. I had I had very little money. Um, when I left, I left everything behind. I left like a refugee. I just sort of took the main things that I would need and left everything because the man that I was leaving, the man that I was divorcing, I, I I was I I mean I wasn't against him and I didn't want to leave him with nothing. So I left him just about everything. Um he 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 bought my half of of the apartment but um anyway, each marriage has its own story but I can't. They're way too personal, I think, for this hour, and no time either. Um, I don't mind talking about them, but there's no time. Um, so why did I tell you that?
0: <laughs> I asked if you were working while you were going to school, right. and you said so yes. I, so what were you, what are you doing? Were you working in early learning or something else? Right.
2: So the first year, I was a teacher at the Early Childhood Research Center at the University of Buffalo. I was a lead teacher. Um and that was fun. I really enjoyed it. It was, a, you know, a lab school. So it, everything was, you had everything, you had all the support and lovely teachers and everything lovely.
0: So was the, the, what was the differences between programs in the States? You're here for the first time immersed in those programs
2: to what you've worked in before with children. Well, that's such a good question. Cause in Israel, the preschools um, and kindergartens actually at the time that i was there um, i think i think they're still pretty close to that now they might be a little bit more structured because they're becoming more american but um, they they were they were really play-based i think i said we had our we had a clay table with real clay we had woodwork we had big blocks big hollow blocks a whole room for hollow block play um, we had one room schoolhouses with mixed age. I had, I had, I always said when I was director of the university at Buffalo Child Care Centers, I would call out when they wanted substitutes and say, I had 35 children and one aid, you can handle it. <laughs> I mean, I got them substitutes, but I would say that to them. Um, but so I was used to real play-based education, uh, pretty much like what, the British infant schools, and um, that's a whole culture that, you know, people have to look it up, actually, and see what that means, because I don't know if they have them anymore like like they used to. Um, it's really based on John Dewey. We had a wonderful ministry of education, very, very educated uh, in early childhood people. So I came to America, and I was absolutely horrified. I, just, I had never seen anything like it. There was so much structure and... Um, there was such a an emphasis on testing and all kinds of of things that I just I just couldn't grasp it actually I just uh, they came out with deve- developmentally appropriate practice and I thought you know what a fancy name for it it's uh, you know, it's, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it, it used to drive me crazy actually and I would long for my my Israeli uh, one room schoolhouse where I would teach um,
0: so how did you how did you fit in? Did you just go with the the flow of the new place or did you automatically well, well, start trying to the early childhood research
2: center was pretty play based and um, um, with the time with the times that <laughs> the developmentally appropriate practice times. So the first year I was a lead teacher and after that, I immediately became um, the, the assistant director of the early childhood research center there. The director was my professor. But, but de facto, I ran the place. Um, and so then I was really put the emphasis on play. And the problem with it was that you have students who are the teachers there, graduate students, they're very good, um, and willing to learn, of course, and so forth. But they change over very quickly, because they're moving on and you get new graduate students. It wasn't childcare, it was a, like a, a nursery school in the morning mm-hmm. and in the afternoon, we had two programs. Um, and probably after so that was 89 so 94 I was asked to be the program coordinator of the University at Buffalo Child Care Center that was on the on a different campus <clears throat> and the person who asked me to do that wanted them to become accredited by NAEYC and I walked in there and it was the most <laughs> horrific place I had ever walked into um and that that i started working full-time what what um,
0: what made it what what's that look like what's that horrific look yes. like
2: oh uh, how do i say it i mean the teachers in the preschool and infant classrooms had desks that they sat at to do paperwork i mean it was just insane um all the children slept in this big gym tightly or the whole lot There were they must have been in that centre, there must have been because afterwards we built a second centre. So, there must have been close to seventy children in that program. Um, all well of them conducive to sleep, except for the infants. All the children slept in this big gym with their shoes on. By the way, um, <laughs> <laughs> in case there's get, a fire we can do a whole
0: hour about that. Yeah. Oh course. my
2: gosh! I went to the director. <clears throat> excuse me, and I said, "Why are they all wearing shoes?" And she said, in case there's a fire drill. And I said to her, well, then, you know, let's put on helmets all day in case something falls out of the sky. I mean, we can't live like this, you know. I, well, you, the way that I reacted about that, she left after like three months. She just walked, <laughs> walked out of there. <laughs> she got right out of there. <laughs> and they brought in a different director. And, um, and we,
0: we wish her well.
2: We do. She was a sweet woman, but she really couldn't handle me. My, my job was that the board had brought me in to get the place accredited. So I had to get it up to speed. I mean, it was just uh-huh. impossible. It was never going to get accredited. Um, and there was all kinds of staff issues. There was this one staff woman who just sat, stood on the playground with her hands in her pockets and just stared around the place. Um, and one day I think she had some kind of fight with a child where She came into me all scratched and torn on her face. And I said to her, what happened? I mean, how did you get to this position with this child? Well, I was holding him down on the mat. And I I don't know how she was holding him down on the mat. So I said, well, bye-bye. You can take your things and go now. I mean, I did stuff like that. So the director ran away.
0: I'm sensing, Carol, maybe you're with me on this. I'm sensing you've grown a little bit more confident, uh, (laughs) Tamar, by this point.
2: You know, the thing is, I can fight for others like I'll do anything to fight for children and I'll do anything to fight for my staff, too. There was one time the board wanted when I became director, the board wanted to bring in cameras into all the rooms so that the parents could see what was going on all day long. And I said, if you get cameras, you have to fire me because I mean, I'll resign what I mean, because I'm just not having the teachers put through that kind of stress. If people don't trust them, then we shouldn't be open in the first place. Yeah. Um, And plus, you know, parents don't always know a lot about child development or why teachers are doing what they're doing. And so, you know, and they're also going to take it out on other children. They're going to call the other parents and tell them. I just said, no way. I'm just we're not having that. And so they said, OK, you know, so, I, you know, when it when it comes to fighting for children and stuff, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. I'm not so great at fighting for me, you know, like I never mm. fought for a good salary everywhere I went, that sort of thing. Whatever they told me I'm getting, I went, oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I taught my teachers to say to me, that's not enough money for me. Right. Uh-huh. I said to them, no one will fight for you, but you. So I could do that. Um, So they brought in another director who lasted probably not a full year, I don't think. She worked with me quite well, and we did get the place accredited. Um, And then I became quite a monster for the poor staff, really, because you can ask them about it because they've I've had some lovely lovely talks since then with them when I go back to buffalo and we get together and have a drink and they tell me stories about me that I just can't believe like you know for example they'd hear me coming down the passage clip clop clip clop towards the infant rooms and they'd go they'd all say to each other pick up a child pick up a child <laughs> so that i wouldn't see children crying on their own on the carpets you know things like that um and they would have this theory about me if i had my hair up in a bun or whatever in a ponytail or whatever that was going to be a bad day but if my hair was loose it was going to be easy i mean i don't know about the truth of
0: that but anyway um, that's exactly why i keep my hair so short so nobody knows (laughs) i want to catch everybody off guard
2: no but i was very strict about certain things Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of things that I just let them let teachers do what they wanted to do or how as long as they were following um a play-based curriculum which wasn't it's not easy for everybody not everybody's had that kind of education you know and um it's hard so I would send them to courses and I really invested in the staff a lot um but there were bottom lines I mean I just did not allow um timeout indiscriminately without a reason i actually i didn't allow it at all and we had a um, an inclusion program with um, the children's hospital with behaviorally challenged children and you know they are taught very very behaviorist methods with their yeah. children and they weren't allowed to do that in our center and so we worked together very closely about that and they they came to love it like if I would see a child in timeout, I, I would want to know what's going on, right?
0: Yeah, let's, let's pause for a moment. Listeners, uh, timeout is ineffective and punitive, and there are much better choices in early learning settings than timeout. Uh, if you go back, there's been episodes of the show where we've talked about it, so you can dig into that. But if you're still using timeout, there's, there's other things. And if you don't know what the other things are, uh, email me and I'll, I'll walk you through some ideas. Because uh, it's 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 a horrible practice that we bought into <clears throat> in this profession for way too long.
2: Actually, I have a, in my third, my latest book, I have a, a chapter on self-regulation that, that I really, I really think people should read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because self-regulation is very important, of course. But um, I think we kind of use it to punish children we use it as a, as an excuse to punish children which you know um sadly a lot of people um use lots of things as excuses to punish children because what i believe is they were punished themselves and don't really have a different method in their toolbox i mean even yeah. emotionally they just immediately go go for punishment because they were punished themselves but that's a whole that's what i'll be doing at pli. <laughs> <But> <laughs> now we're talking about my you life. You don't get that so, one for free, Jeff. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, I bet I
0: could get Tamar back on the show to talk about it. Um, so long, you're, you're 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 the director now. Yeah. Well, long story long yeah. story
2: short, that the board comes to me and says, "Will you be the director, the interim director, until we find another one?" Because this other, the other director leaves, and I become the director, and then. I apparently do such a good job that they say they don't want to look for another one please would you be the one so so I, were you I,
0: were you were you happy through this this time because I, I i we didn't actually I get into it. it but that 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 first hour i i i i get the feeling that there was a lot of time in your life that you weren't really a happy person right um
2: right. and so now has there has has that changed now it's now i'm getting happier much happier. Oh, that's good I'm feeling sort of I'm I'm accomplishing things. I've you know I've completed my B.A. I've completed my master's. I'm onto my doctorate. For goodness sake, I, you know I've we have to do comp exams to 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 continue with the dissertation, and that's the most amazing thing that I've ever done in my life, apart from writing the dissertation. You know you 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 sit. I'm put in a room for eight hours. Just half an hour I get to go out of this room and have a bit of lunch and come back, and I have to answer three questions and have references no books nothing at my fingertips i just have to write these each question i mean it's it's like writing a book actually because it, it was such an experience and, and and then i'm when i come out I, I sit in my car and cry because i've done this thing you know this amazing thing of writing this exam and if, you, you usually are going to pass it it's hard to fail it by that stage but it was, a, it was a feat for me. So I'm feeling like I'm accomplishing things. And then, then I get this amazing opportunity in this university childcare center to, to create what I had in Israel, <laughs> mm-hmm. but on a very large scale. Mm-hmm. I have a big board of directors. I have uh, you know, over 80, uh, 80 parents. I have 25 staff, You know, interns from other universities. I mean, it's just really fun. Um, and I'm as strict as can be <laughs> I don't allow time out. I don't allow people don't be mad at me but I don't allow any cutesy pictures on the walls it's got to be either real photographs of real people or art proper art from art galleries like pr- prints and in what, order what, to do that I what's take cutesy, my what, what's
0: a cutesy picture like that um, painting Carol has behind her
2: Well, those look like real dogs, actually. Yeah,
0: that that looks like a real artwork, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's what Lily (laughs) and Katz would have called a silly smiling animal. Like, you know, have... (laughs) Neither of them are smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're real.
1: (laughs) That's real real. art.
2: She's smiling. They are not. (laughs) That's real art. You know, it's like, I mean, what I did for a professional development day is take all my staff to the art gallery. And, you know, half of them had never been in an art gallery. And they had a, a tour. And then we went and had this very special lunch there at the art gallery with wine and I don't know what. And then I had some money and I said, go into the art store there, into the, bo- into the gallery store and choose prints for your, for your classrooms that you loved. And they had the time of their lives. You know, I took them to a real potter to learn how to do real pottery with children, um, or at least that they would understand what clay was about, because mm. I didn't allow play-doh in the preschool i allowed it in the toddler room but not in the preschool they had to have real clay because i based on my place in israel and i had big hollow blocks a big section for them in the preschool where they could play with that Um, and woodworking of course here we have to have goggles and you know you can only have a few at a time and you've got to be very careful in case you're going to be sued but you know it wasn't like in israel but it was, they, they had real woodworking. They had all that stuff. Um, and it was tough because I had to help the staff <laughs> understand it and like it and want to do it. And there were some who loved it. And they went on courses. And so. And there were some who just thought it's chaos and they can't bear it. You know? Most of them how, stayed. How did
0: the parents respond to all the changes that went through in your time? I
2: did a lot of work with parents. A lot of parent evenings, um, a lot of giving them articles to read, a lot of bringing in guest speakers to talk to them. Um, In fact, there's a true story of a parent who tells that I had had a program coordinator at the time working with the preschool, because by then we've now created a second center on the other campus. So I'm I'm director of both these centers now. Um, So I have a program coordinator and a parent comes to her and says the faucet in the bathroom isn't working and the the woman uh nancy says to her um okay i'll tell tomorrow and she said don't tell tomorrow she'll give me an article to read (laughs) That's, that's that's a true story so i well you know i believe that parents care about their children and care about their education so i gave them articles and suggested books to read because i you know i think you know i value that they care um, and they lo- most of them loved it. I probably had really not more than about five parents who would come to me and say, we need more structure. Our children aren't going to learn to read. And I would talk to them. and And maybe a couple left, but most stayed. We had one professor who was a special ed guy who his speciality was ADHD. And he believed in medication um, for ADHD. And he had a little girl of a, a year and a half in the toddler room who liked to change clothes a lot. And he came to me and he said he wanted it to stop and he wanted them to time her out because he believed in it. You know, he was ADHD guy. He was a very scientific guy, quite a scary man. And I just said, no, I'm sorry, we don't do that here. You know, you'll have to go elsewhere. So he took it to the board. and the board, I had, to, I had to explain to the board in detail why we don't do that. And the guy, the, 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 the director of the program at Children's Hospital who had integrated his uh, children with us, came with me and we talked to the board and explained, what, this guy, this guy from Children's Hospital had learned, you know with me together. And we explained to the board, why not? And so the board went back to this professor and said, sorry, we can't. Tomás not going to do that. So he did take his child
0: and, and left. Did he angrily snap a pencil in half when he, when he heard that? Um, what, what was his name? Close to.
2: You know, I don't remember. I think it might have been Pelham. Somebody we
0: should have on the show? <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, maybe he's changed. I don't know. I mean, my staff finally said, you know, that little girl, one day she's just gonna run away from home. You know, he was so I sweet think man.
1: that's who we should have on the show is that little girl. That yes. little girl.
0: Well, I mean, look, when would she 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 wants to change her clothes all the time when she's when she's little, the dad wants to stop that she's gonna grow up and be a stripper, right? If you if you try to <laughs> you try to restrain that and then she's She's on a table dancing so, You know, I was thinking uh, maybe he
1: was so OCD that like anything that was wrong with her clothes, he made her change. So she just spent all day changing and changing and changing. <laughs> yeah, and changing. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, I could imagine him being OCD. That's for sure. He was a good guy. I mean, he did a lot of good work, sure. but um, just not my philosophy, I suppose. And, sure. you know, well, I, I mean, pretty, we, we
0: need, to, we need we, to drug all our children. So, of course.
2: Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: so not not too many battles more more education and more more right. kind of prodding along and and the other thing about that is when you can when you can nudge parents and families along it just makes your job so much easier to to do the thing um whether it's messy play or not using timeout or whatever it is when you've got their buy in the job becomes just just so much easier
2: it was a beautiful center we had you know big all kinds of plants everywhere, hanging plants and big plants, and we had um, lovely soft couches and big armchairs so that teachers could sit with children and read. And uh, we made it very, Oh, Wait, friendly. time out.
0: Adult-sized chairs.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs>
0: definitely. Oh, well, I mean, that's, that's something a lot of. That's a lot of. That's something a lot of early learning programs lack is the adults spend their whole day if they sit down, it's on a kid-sized chair, or
2: on the floor, and not everybody sure. wants to do that um no it was very very home it was beautiful and also parents would see when they would go to kindergarten that their children were learning beautifully and loved to learn so that the, the results were always very good um so there were wonderful things about it i mean in the end people were bringing people to see our place it became were one you of sort of-
0: were you involved in the uh you said you had another building were you involved in the the building the design process and you get to have any input into that or
2: No, because we started a new place and they had a little kind of prefab thing that wasn't bad, actually. It was this little place. And their plan was to eventually build a beautiful place there, which they did. But I had already come to Philadelphia by then. So when I went back and I saw this place, I was just blown away. Now, now it's so now when we've got two centers, we've got 50 teaching staff. We have uh, including interns from area colleges, I'm, I'm still finishing my doctorate. I'm writing my first book. I'm directing these two centers, and I am very active in the AEYC of uh, Western New York and the New York State AEYC, and I'm presenting everywhere. I'm also teaching <laughs> courses at UB and courses at two other colleges. I just worked from morning till night. I'm going to ask what
0: what you did with what you did your spare time.
2: Work. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I did. (laughs) But I had the time of my life. I was so happy, you know, doing that stuff. I really Mm -hmm. loved it. Um, But at a certain point, I really wanted to just teach college full time. I I wanted to do that. I thought this is going to be great. When I got that, finally got that opportunity. Boy, I missed the centers. I missed them so much, and I missed the teachers too. I missed. I miss being with people who know that about life and death and real life. Uh, um, professors are, are, are all, people are people, and some are lovely and some are not so great. But they, a lot of them <laughs> don't understand real life, you know. So, so I miss that a
0: lot. So wh- when, does the, when does the move come?
2: The move comes in... 2004, because uh, my husband is recruited to Temple University at in Philadelphia, and um, so I have to leave and come come here. So for the first year, I have to look for a job, um, and I, I got quite a few offers, four or five offers from different colleges in the area, um, and I chose Ryder University ev- ev- uh, eventually after the first year, um, and after. I think that my first year working there, I became the chair of the teacher education department there, and I was chair for seven years. Um, so I was, and I was the early childhood faculty. They just had one. It was, a, it's a small private college. Um, I was it. So, so know, I mean,
0: staff meetings are really short that way.
2: No, I'm the chair, so it's everybody, high school and everybody, right? Right. Um, which, you know, probably wasn't appropriate because they needed somebody who understood all the, you know, the testing requirements, (laughs) which I Were you, were you,
0: were you nervous about taking this on or were you feeling confident enough? I thought, you know, I
2: had done so much for 10 years in Buffalo that this was going to be a piece of cake. It was nothing, you know, and it was compared, it was nothing and it was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much, even though you'd have the odd staff who'd come and have a tantrum because, you know, her schedule had changed or some rubbish, Um, (laughs) you know, you'd think, Oh my gosh, you'd think, I don't know what had happened. Um, But because, you know, uh, problems at at the university are different. You know, they're not, they're not life and death working with young children and their families and Mm -hmm. all that, all that good stuff. Um, I don't want to knock it too much, but it—I it, it, I miss just being with the regular folk.
1: <laughs> but I was just thinking about how, like your background, like coming from where you came from, especially coming to America, where we tend to get caught in this rat race of things that don't really matter. Um, what a grounding force you must have been wherever you went, having that mm. kind of perspective on everything. About you know, I'm not worried about the test scores. This is just what you knew to do with children, and then kind of bringing that perspective like it's like you said like your schedule changed it's not the end of the world I think and a lot of us now are so generationally caught up in the these things that feel like life and death for us but in reality they're not to have someone to come and say no no no, I came from a place where there really was life and death things going on this is nothing I think I think everybody needs it tomorrow.
2: (laughs) Carol you're so sweet thank you (laughs) I'm sure that I mean, I'm sure there's a a number of staff who worked with me who feel like you, but there were also quite a few who really didn't like me because I was strict on certain things. You know, like the time I walked in with my my assistant and we were looking at the toddler inventory to see what we needed to buy for the classroom. And I looked up and there was a a Mickey Mouse clock on the wall and I went, what is this? You know, because I didn't allow it. And she said... Um, it's a Mickey Mouse clock, and I said I can see that, but what is it doing here? And she said, "Well, a parent donated it." And I said, "Well, that's not a, that's not good enough. You know, get rid of this thing. Tell the teacher to get rid of it." And so then the lead teacher came to me and said, "I had to the parent." I said, "Never mind. I'll talk to the parent. Get rid of that thing." So you know, I had a, a staff member who I'm very close to today. She's a she works in a childcare and resource referral place we are very good friends but she once said to me we were having at a party and she was a little bit tipsy she said you know tomorrow when you come through you do these drive by shootings it's got to stop and she hates that i say that but that's it it woke me up because you know as a director or as an administrator you walk in you don't know what's been going on and you just say something like that yeah. you know like that child water
0: Tamara's walking along with a baseball bat and she sees that mickey mouse clock and just smashes it and (laughs) boom so at least it wasn't to that level
2: but you know i i I was so like for example there's so few nurturing pictures of african-american men there's lots of baseball and lots of um kind of criminal things and so forth So I I would ask our um, African-American parents if they wouldn't mind me taking a photo of them holding their child just and then blow it up, make a beautiful picture and put it in on the walls. And it was wonderful for the African-American children to see and for white children to see. Those things were very important to me, like the aesthetics Mm -hmm. of the place or the timeout situations being kind to children I, you know if anybody was unkind to children they wouldn't really have to deal with me but on the other hand i wanted staff to know why i didn't want to just say well tamar says you have to know why yeah. otherwise you know um, that happened that an intern came to me from a different college and said you know the the staff told me we're, we're never allowed to say good job because said. So I went on the intercom immediately and said, lead teachers, we have an emergency meeting in my office. <laughs> they used to hate that. So they all come trumbling in and I say, what is this? Why, why can't you say good job? And so we went around the room and talked about the whole idea of discussing things with children, sharing their accomplishments with them, not just patting them on the head and saying good job all the time. There's articles by Alfie Cohn about that that really are mm-hmm. helpful. And I do know it's cultural in America to say, good job. You know, my husband often said to me, good job when I mowed the lawn, things like that. But, you know. Um...
0: <laughs> Carol mows the lawn, too. We were just talking about that before we started recording. Um, but so but you're... You know, oh, it ahead. was
2: important that they know why they do what they yeah.
0: do. Yeah. So, so you're
2: teaching now. Oh, yeah. That we're we everywhere. Are oh, you mean when I'm at Rider? Yeah. Yes. I'm teaching undergrad and grad students early childhood and the degree is elementary ed with a, a, a minor in early childhood so all my students are learning a lot of structured stuff for elementary ed and a lot of testing stuff and a lot of lesson plans and all that stuff so I decide that my courses none of that it's going to be Play-based. It's going to be about anti-bias work. It's going to be about what uh, our emotions and how it affects how we work with children. I'm just going to do that with my 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 students, and that's what I did. I was very strict about that. I mean, I had a one of the faculty came to me and said, "You know, you're not doing lesson plans with them." And I said, "You're doing so many lesson plans in your courses; they're going to be fine." You know, (laughs) I want them to be to learn how to be spontaneous and emergent curriculum stuff. I want with them. So I don't know if I was right about that, but I think the students got a lot out of that. Um, and then, um, and then I retired. So that's my story. Bye. Not
0: quite yet. Um, <laughs> do you feel like you did your best teaching in at Rider? with the students in the classroom setting or do you feel like you did your best teaching when you were the center director um just helping staff day in and day out which was more
2: that's such a good question um both i think both because i have had over the years students from writers say you know it's that they got they got an um They got from me the the essence of being a teacher and and how to be compassionate with children and how to to think about how they play and things like that. And that was very good for them as they went into those structured environments, because you can't Mm. prevent that. You know, I mean, actually, when I would do student teaching, student supervision, I'd have to go into the classrooms and just observe the the students when they were doing their student teaching practicum. Um, into elementary aid classrooms, I had to go in. I would come home and cry sometimes. I just, the children were, were bored and structured and, um, oh, it was awful, punitive. It was just awful. And my students had to learn that and I didn't want them to learn that, you know, but there was nothing I could do because, you know, you have to have respect for the cooperating teacher. They're doing what, the best they can. And so I would talk to my students when we had, you know, the debriefing sessions and I'd say, you know, I know you have to do that, but I really don't want you to do that. You know, so it was very difficult. It was a very hard time for me that, but I do think I gave them something there um, a bit as much as I could Mm -hmm. anyway, but you're right. I think, I think probably at the, at the childcare center, I I, I could do better because it's so on. We're so there.
0: Yeah. It's more, it's more hands on. It's almost um, it's it's almost direct instruct timely direct instruction where where you're dealing with these real life situations and, and I think for a lot of people that's that's a lot more sticky than right. in their heads. They they remember things better. They you just kind of grasp things and learn them a little bit more deeply than you do in classroom settings sometimes, but. I can as see. Lo- that as you- long
2: as I wasn't drive-by shooting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah I got a good idea. Um, you also, uh, we kind of didn't touch on this really. Uh, you, you wrote a couple books in there sometimes. So. Um, yes.
2: Well, my first book I wrote when I was in, in Buffalo, that's Confronting Our Discomfort. And that's uh, clearing the way for anti-bias. That's, that's about our attitudes of prejudice and bias and how that affects how we work with children. Because there was, at the time, an anti-bias curriculum that Louise Duman sparks brought out. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that people were like putting the right color dolls and the right crayons and that in the classrooms, but actually their own attitudes were really horrific. So we had to sort of get in touch with that. My dissertation was based on, a I, I facilitated a support group for childcare providers who, who were working with the anti-bias curriculum, and I had them talk about their own childhoods and biases and so forth, and I had a council, a counselor who supervised me. So it was it was it was great. It was such fun, because I that's what I would love to do, before I died, was organize support groups for teachers everywhere. You can't get funding for it. You don't. You, people don't even want to do it. So it's hard. It's that's a hard thing
0: yeah yeah it would be really helpful
2: the second and third book came out well the second book came out of that first book because in that support group setting um i would discover that a lot of teachers uh, staff were angry their lives were hard they'd had hard childhoods a lot of them and um discipline was a big issue in classrooms and so I thought about that and I thought, I want to write a book about how we were disciplined as children and how that affects us. That idea came out of that. And um, that book I wrote while I was at Ryder. That's, that's the don't get upset. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was, I didn't like the title that Redleaf Press gave, but actually it's not a bad title in the end. It's, I think it's, don't get so upset, help young children manage their feelings by understanding your own. And that's yeah, what I Believed a
0: a f- few years back, uh, we had a had a thing at the house, and I had a bunch of early learning people. Not a bunch, a handful of early learning people show up for a couple of days, and we hung out and we we talked early learning and recorded podcasts and drank margaritas. No, it's mateados, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, friend of the show and sometime co host Bethany was there, and she she had don't get so, oh, so upset with her, and she was she was sitting on my deck. And I was bringing her uh, mojitos with fresh mint and she's reading and she'd get through, she'd get through a couple pages and then she'd sit and sigh and maybe cry a little bit and, <laughs> and, and, and then read some more. And, and, and she was just so, so deeply in love with that book. I think I, I sent you a picture of her reading it, I think. And, yes, and, you uh, did, you and, did. And it was—I mean, I so i have actually seen in real time that book change change somebody's life, and and actually Bethany is one of the people that reached out and told me we needed to to get you uh, to share your early journey because uh, she was she just fell in love with you with you reading that book.
2: So that's so sweet. That's so I, I enjoyed reading it myself, but I didn't cry. <laughs> well, no, because you don't, because you're a man. Yeah, well, I cried
1: in the orthodontist office, Jeff, because that's where I decided to start reading it, which was probably not the best place.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, out of that, you know, all the presentations that I did around that for a couple of years, every single time, without fail, people would say, but what do you do when a child needs attention? It would just bloom every time. So I went to Redleaf and said, can we read? publish it with a chapter on attention and they came back and said no we want a book on that um and that that was my third book and that that i get quite personal in because um my mother dies in march of 17 um at one week short of 100 and and uh, that summer i had to write the book and so her death, somehow, I started to feel viscerally what I've been through in childhood myself and to do with self-regulation specifically and things like that. Talk about punitive. Uh, and so I um, <laughs> so I write that book. And I write that book in like three months. It just pours out of me. I had a wonderful editor, so it was very helpful. Um, because I've, I've thought long and hard about self-regulation and compassion, actually. Funnily enough, all three books, I only noticed that at the end of the third book, all three books has a, a concluding chapter on compassion. Because honestly, I don't know how else we work with children without compassion. I just don't know how we do that. More I mean, rigor. I know how we do that.
1: We <laughs> have to test it first, clearly.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, don't we don't we have too much compassion? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we get rid of all that <laughs> compassion and, and get a little bit more rigorous? I mean, I mean, kids are. I mean, there are too many kids that aren't learning to read and and uh, and That's because we have all no overdoses. <laughs> oh, oh, so maybe we should be a little bit more compassionate.
2: Yeah, it's not the same as kind. Uh, by the way, I mean, kind is yeah. of course important. I think, but compassion is much more. It includes empathy, and it includes um, understanding the human condition as a whole. You know that that, that life is very hard for people. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it's
0: really easy to be compassionate with people who have your same general outlook on things. It's being able to find compassion for the people that are someplace else on the human spectrum. I think is yes. where we where we really yes. struggle, isn't
2: it? yes absolutely and um, and uh, i mean so many children are treated very hurtfully and sure. it's not always intentional of course that yeah. i understand that's the tragedy actually because we're sort of repeating it it's so cyclical um, but anyway that's a whole another story i think yeah. but I- that that's the third book that's where i really pull out the compassion stops <laughs>
1: I think that's so important because I think um, the less than desirable ways that a lot of adults treat kids, it's basically them looking for the kids to treat them with compassion. I think a lot of adults are just looking for the compassion that they either can't give themselves or that they never got as children. And now they want children to give it to them. But, you know, kids aren't they, they don't have kind of that. They're not there yet to be able to understand what a teacher is going through. Like, you know, I don't know how many teachers have heard, like, well, I, I, pl- I worked very hard to prepare this for us. But that <laughs> kid can't possibly know that. It's like, you're, you're, you're looking, you're, the compassion is backwards, right. which is why, I mean, I know I personally was very interested when you started talking about self-compassion, and that's my current deep dive, is because I know that comes up. Like, I know even with my own kids, sometimes I'm, I'm wanting them to be compassionate for me, So i can get through my day but have i have i been compassionate to them and have i been compassionate to myself so they don't have to carry that burden because they can't
2: right but anyway yeah that 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 has led me to this whole idea of self-compassion actually that's a good book and i think it's actually critical well you know also all these self-help books and um diets and everything that you know because i've been through those things too they're always talking about how we've got to change how we look at ourselves. Um, we wouldn't need half of them if if we had been treated kindly in the beginning. So that because we have these judges all the time. Not everybody, obvi- obviously, it's it's not true for everybody, but a lot of people, you know, we're just hard on ourselves, terribly hard. So of course we're going to be hard on little children if we're hard on ourselves. It's it, it just it just is natural. Um, so now I'd like to work with teachers on that specifically. Um, I don't know if I could do a whole book on it, but uh, I did an article on it. That was about all I did.
0: Well, that was um, going to but... be my next question. What What's next? Because you you just you just mentioned your your mother lived to almost a hundred, so you've got another another <laughs> quarter century left in you. I'm I'm assuming, you know, in God, twenty years me. we'll have to come back and do a, a part three. <laughs> oh jeff
2: oh jeff Jeff. is that your name
0: (laughs) what do you what i mean what do you are you still are you completely retired you still got projects
2: what are you doing um i am retired but i'm you know i'm still presenting obviously if i can um and um i mean for two years i couldn't because of the pandemic but now i think i'm except on zoom i did a bit yeah but you know it's difficult for me to do it on zoom because i really need the the personal interaction with people so that we can really get into it you know it's not like uh creating a poster board <laughs> you know it's it's about human emotion it's very difficult uh, you know i need to be in a room where people can share their stories and cry a bit with each other and stuff it's important that stuff to get i accept you jeff accept you Carol, let's interview him next.
1: I just thought in my head, I'm like, that's my goal in life: make Jeff cry.
2: Make Jeff cry. Well, <laughs> oh, oh, good luck. <laughs> New goal. Put. It, I'm going
0: to
1: make a vision that, board. It, We're gonna it's. Get it. it's <laughs> and,
0: and it's totally not that I'm anti-crying. I. It's just. It's. It's just not. It, it's just not there. Uh, but this episode isn't about me, so. Right. Uh, Right. Um, Right.
1: Okay. okay. What
0: I got one more question on my, on my note and you said we'd wrap this up in about an hour and we're really close to that. Um, I got to, I got to know a little bit about more about husband number three. Was he also a shepherd?
2: Uh, I'm on four.
0: Oh, number four. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We missed one in there someplace though, but okay. The current one is what I'm concerned about. Uh, Was he also a shepherd when you met him?
2: No, he's a professor of media and communication. (laughs) Of what? media and communication
0: oh, I thought you had chameleon communication no, media, uh, media media and communication
2: okay uh, and he was a keeper absolutely we've been together 28 years yeah well
0: I'm glad you found a keeper did he take you also on a on a a baby sheep based date, no, date no
2: no actually I think our first date was at a not I think we had we had uh, lunch at a Mexican restaurant. It was very nice. But instead of it being an hour, it was two hours. It was great. Uh-huh. That sounds
0: <laughs> very romantic. Uh, so, Carol, any final questions for tomorrow before we wrap
2: things up?
1: No, but I'll be pondering this one for a while.
2: <laughs> I am starting to write a memoir, but it's um, the trouble is I think my three books are also kind of memoirish. So you know, because I share a bit of my life there, um, and I. memoir is difficult because i don't want to i don't want to hurt my son i don't want to hurt the the men i had married before because i'm not against all these people um it's more about me being me bringing myself into these and learning how to to be me differently um so i'm not sure about the the memoir but i am very interested in the self-compassion thing and so who knows where that'll go so
0: that's about it. I, like I mentioned last time, I think you should uh, make that memoir into a one-woman show so you can add some singing, uh, some stagecraft. The the husband who's into uh, media and communication, I there think he'd go. be able to come up with some some good ideas so you could uh, make it a multimedia thing.
2: He's not into that kind of communication. <laughs> he, he does work uh, with... Um, you know, like if there's a, a program for a country to make people aware of um, AIDS and the medication that they need to take, things like that, he'll work with them in doing research about how to get that across to people and so forth.
0: Well, he could do the same thing for self compassion,
1: <laughs> same thing, <Jeff. laughs>
0: And then roll that all into a one woman show. I think this is a <laughs> a, a a romantic uh, endeavor that you could both engage on. Um, Hey, listeners, you need more Tamar in your life. And I mean, who doesn't? All you got to do is uh, keep tuning in to uh, the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast because she pops up every couple of weeks. And that's delightful. One of the joys of my life was uh, messaging Tamar and asking her to come on the show and her saying yes. Uh, it's it's led to a, a lot of fun and a lot of conversation. And and Tamar, uh, put it on the calendar. 23 years from now, we'll come back and do part three of, uh, of the Tamar story because I'm sure you'll have a lot of great stories. And I think I also want to do a tomorrow After Dark where uh, tomorrow <laughs> drinks the gin and tonic and we get into some of the uh, the personal stories we glossed over since this is more focused on the professional journey. Uh, I think that'd be fun. Uh, this has been the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast. Let me know, are you pro-Gosling, pro-puppy or pro-kitten? Uh, back soon. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. <laughs>